0: You're listening to a Dual Han Productions podcast. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Born on August thirtieth, nineteen fifty two, in Los Angeles, California. Live one of the longest reigning serial killers. His name was Lonnie Franklin Jr. He is otherwise known as the Grim Sleeper due to his long hiatus. He took. Welcome to Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. I'm your host Hunter Strickland, and join with me is my co-host Jason Sparks. Jason, how you doing today?
0: I'm doing very well. How are you, Hunter?
1: Doing pretty good. What cereal you got today?
0: So I've been keeping on the uh, the healthy train and uh i actually have some special k
1: with me today special k wow i'm proud of you because i'm still drink or er, drinking i'm still eating cinnamon toast crunch so there's nothing gotta- wrong with that i know hey man gotta have the sugariness in it man it's awesome hey, just keeping us awake yeah keeping us awake yeah no nah, i get it. lonnie franklin jr was born on august 30th 1952 in los angeles california There's not much that's known about his backstory, but one thing that is known is that when he was in his 20s, he did join the military. While he was in the military, he was stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, where he and two other servicemen on uh, April of 1974 abducted a 17-year-old girl, took her into a field, and raped her multiple times. Each man did. Once they were done with her, they took her uh back home. While they were taking her home, the young woman had the idea to try to convince one of them that she was still interested in them and wanted to get his number. Out of the three men, Franklin was the only one to actually give her his number, and this is actually what led to his arrest because after this, she went to the police, told, her, told them everything that happened, and when they did that, they staged a, an operation to get her to meet up with him again. And when they did that, they caught him and actually arrested him right there. So what happened was, is they, they used her again to try to lure him back out and arrest him for what he did to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a messed up thing. Cause I mean, he's over there in Germany with serving for the military, and everything like that. And him, two other servicemen who were in the ranks with him stuff, kidnapped this girl and come like basically brutalized her.
0: Right, you know, not not in the the service for serving his country, but you know, potentially to feed his disturbed means.
1: Yeah, and he think he probably thought that he was over in a foreign country, he can probably get away with something since he's serving the military like that. But he had a pretty rude awakening. Hmm. So, but yes, yeah, so he did get apprehended by the by police, and he actually served some time in prison. He was supposed to serve three years in prison, but he ended up only he served less than a year. After he was released in prison, he actually was uh, disarmably discharged in July of 1975 from the military. Once he got done with that, he moved back to his hometown in Los Angeles, California. When he moved back to Los Angeles, he actually did work jobs as a sanitation worker, which, sweet life, is that Cody taught me anything? Is that he was a garbage man. Fair Um, enough. Fair enough. And so that meant that he... Picked up a lot of trash cans and alleyways, dumpsters, got to know the back streets of Los Angeles pretty well, picking up trash and doing odd jobs like that. And he actually worked a little bit as a garage attendant for the LAPD as well. So this got him pretty familiar with the area and kind of set up where he could potentially do some of his crimes and potentially dispose of the bodies of the women that. It would eventually kill. So
0: You know, it's interesting that he went on to work as a garage tenant for LAPD. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's kind of methodical, you know, having that thought of, oh, I will be working right under their nose or I'll become a face that is familiar to police officers and therefore making him build up a sense of invincibility, similarly yeah, that- to what he potentially thought he had while in the military.
1: Exactly. That's what exactly what I thought too when I saw that. I was like, wow, he essentially um operated underneath their noses, like kind of like being like, ha ha ha, look at me. Y'all can't find me when I'm right here. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like his own sort of game, like kind of playing with them. Right. Kind of interesting thought. So he did work for them for a while. It's not specified how long. And the creepy thing is is he was well liked in his community and he's actually known to work on cars in his driveway. And he was known as being very cordial, friendly with all of his neighbors. So it's from all aspects, he was known as just all around good guy, very friendly, easy to talk to. So we actually pick up his first confirmed killing actually took place on August 10th, 1985. It was of a woman named Deborah Jackson. The reason why they believe that it was him is because she was shot at close range In the chest three times with a 25 caliber rifle. After he had shot her, he actually sexually assaulted her, then dumped her body in a dumpster. So that's where um, his background as a sanitation worker kind of comes into play, and that's why they believe that he was so good. He was so good at being able to hide his bodies because of that job he took. He knew all those alleys and places where they would probably not ever find like a dead body at.
0: Right, he knew the history, and he knew the activity of the alleyways, and mm-hmm. knew more than likely, you know, which alleyways are going to be more desolate and not to be disturbed whenever he is disposing of bodies. And it's it's interesting that he's starting off his killings more than likely with a rifle or anything that you know it's not as, as hands on of an effect, but he's still moving on to sexually assault these women. So it's it's kind of I don't know it it feels a little like an outlier from some serial killers who are killing for sexual frustration.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. And most serial killers, they usually use knives or strangulation or anything. He's using like a 25 caliber gun. And then like you said, afterwards he'd get, after he kills them, he sexually assaults them. And it's kind of interesting too. Like he disposes of the bodies in dumpsters and alleyways in a sign just saying that like, they're kind of worthless or they don't mean anything to him. He's just dumping them in, Places that are known as dirty and like people, that's where people take their trash.
0: Right. He has no regards for who they were or their lives and kind of makes me curious, you know, like you said, there's not a lot on his history, but I do want to, I I do wonder if he does have a history of resentment towards women, if it was something potentially from his upbringing or a experience that he had growing up.
1: Yeah, that would be a very good thing to know too, because I mean, it never really delves into his backstory anything. it kind of just the first thing that you learn about him is is what happened when he was in the military and then it, it immediately goes into like his killing so there's no history of like what what he went through his upbringing or anything and there's nothing so as far as we know he could have had a normal upbringing and nothing happened and mm. he, he just one day he just snapped and it may have been what happened when he was in the military Anyways, after he did that, he dumped her in the alleyway, and then he ended up killing someone in the next year in nineteen eighty-six, almost to the day. Her name was Harrietta Wright, and he killed her with a twenty-five caliber rifle. And he dumped her the exact same way as well, disposing of her in a dumpster. And the curious thing is he's the way he's targeting just based off these two women, they're both uh, young African American women. They're both believed to be sex workers, and they're both to believe to believe to lived in areas that police didn't really patrol or really care about. And it's kind of like showing that he's picking his targets specifically because he knows that one, he can do it without being detected. He knows exactly where to dispose them where no one will find them. And he believes that these are victims that no one's going to care about. um, He definitely has a, a like He's definitely calculated because he knows exactly where he needs to do, where he needs to do with uh, the bodies, exactly what demographic he's going after. so you definitely know he's calculating. He knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, um, to this point, Lonnie has already proven himself to be a organized killer.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and the only reason why they knew that um, he's connected to these two is because they actually use forensic firearm examination. That's how they were able to find that he that the same gun was used to kill both women. That's how they were able to link um, him to these two. So throughout the next two years, so from 1986 to 1988, he actually committed five more murders that they can confirm, all of them the same uh, demographic. They were young African-American women in the Los Angeles area, specifically in the poorer regions. And he disposed of them all the same way in alleyways, dumpsters. There's even one he discarded underneath the mattress because he knew someone wouldn't live there. Mm-hmm. And again, they... They didn't discover the bodies until it was too late. They, were, they weren't they were able to figure out who did it, and there was DNA on a lot of the bodies, but at that time, in the uh, mid-to-late 80s, DNA forensics was not nearly as capable as what it is right now. He actually was about to claim his eighth victim, was, which was a woman named Anitra Washington. Um, Same way he uh, attacked all of his other victims, he shot her in the chest, sexually assaulted her, and he actually just disposed of her without confirming she was dead but she actually managed to survive his attack and she ended up going to the police with information about him but they weren't able to find the guy that they were looking for
0: right and to kind of touch on that since she is a a sex worker a lot of times in, in history's past you don't get a lot of credence for coming forward on sexual assault, rape and, and attackings when, you know, you do work in six in sex work, it, which is sad to say, but mm-hmm. there's potential that the law enforcement didn't give her a lot of credence at the time.
1: Yeah. They could have possibly just chalked it up as like, Oh, she's, I hate to say it, like making something up. Who knows? Like, this is like, this is her industry. She's in like, yeah, they probably just kind of threw it on the rug and I, and like, was, we're moving on with it and like give her any credibility. Hmm. Yeah. After that happened, there's actually a, uh, it's called a Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Killers that was formed in the area. It was made up of mostly African-American people who were getting tired of young African-American women who were get, being murdered in their area, and they were really protesting the LAPD because they weren't doing anything to stop it. They believed that the police were too preoccupied because, I don't know if you know, Jason, around this time, this is when Other notorious serial killers like Richard Ramirez and a bunch of other guys uh, in that area were actually committing crimes as well.
0: Absolutely. L.A. at the time was a very large hotspot for serial killers just because of the demographic of L.A. with being so large and the law enforcement being spread so thin, it made crime not only murder, sad to say, easy to get away with.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly, and not to mention a lot of the women, like there were young black women, young white women, too, and they were all having different, uh, similar patterns of being murdered. Um, it was hard for them to figure out who did what, if they can even track it, to being one serial killer or multiple serial killers. They also um, talked about how during this time too is when the crack cocaine epidemic was going on too. So a lot of them, they actually believe like with his first victim, Deborah Jackson, they believed that it was actually a drug deal gone wrong. That's why it took them so long to figure out that, Oh no, is this was the work of a serial killer.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And, And that, that, does make sense to to some extent um I do want to ask though so he is killing women with a 25 caliber rifle is he shooting them while they're still standing on the street or is he getting them in the car and then proceeding to shoot them
1: it varies um, some of them are in the street I know the one that survived Initra Washington that one he actually did lure her into his car the other ones from what I've seen and researched most of them it doesn't say but i'm going to assume it's probably a mix of both it's never confirmed if he does or not because all they know is that he just disposes of their bodies
0: gotcha because yeah that that makes me curious on the uh the coroner reports where the bullets actually enter the body of of his victims you know if it is from straight from the front or if he's able to you know have the rifle shooting them from the back. It's kind of curious uh, how he's being able to do this. And if they are within the car, are any of these women being able to fight back?
1: Exactly, yeah. Um. I know most of them, they say that he shoots them at least three times in the chest. That's how most of them are killed. But then again, some of them, it leaves out some of those details. Most of the time, the major details they bring up is how he disposes them in dumpsters, alleyways. Just kind of show- highlighting that, once he's done with them, he shows a blatant lack of disregard for their bodies and just disposes them in places that's known as trash.
0: Right. And, and the the three shots makes me kind of think that also, like you said, he's, he's already proven himself to be very calculated. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the three shots is potentially something that, you know, he had learned through his military training that, you know, one or two may not be enough, but three more than likely.
1: Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. That possibly could be why he does it because he's trying to be efficient at the same time Mm. as effective and just making sure that he doesn't leave any witnesses when he's doing this. Right. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah. But at that time, um, the black community was getting frustrated because with those other serial killers, they were killing mostly young white women and they believed that the police were carrying Uh, Taking more precautions when it comes to those instead of in their poor black communities trying to figure out because it's quite obvious there's a serial killer at large in their area, but they're doing nothing to stop it because he's still running free.
0: Right. They can physically see on their streets that, you know, law enforcement has not increased within their area, but is increasing in more predominantly white areas where other serial killers have their praying
1: grounds. Exactly. And they were getting very frustrated, too, because they weren't releasing any information because it's believed that they didn't really know if it was truly the work of one serial killer or what they were doing. But either way, they weren't warning at least the young black women in that community that they're being targeted and they probably should need to stay off the streets. Mm. So it's believed that after the failed murder of Anitra Washington, that Lonnie Franklin actually took his 14 year hiatus from killing. And this is why he earned his infamous nickname, the Grim Sleeper. Because I think you know this, Jason, too. It's not very often you see a serial killer take 14 years off from between murders.
0: Typically not. I mean, serial killers in the past have been known to take hiatuses. But 14 years is a definitely an outlier in the statistics of serial killers.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. And most of the time, I think they say it's maybe two or three years they may take off, but 14 years is... Um, an extremely long time for someone to subvert those feelings and rage and everything that they have in order to do these things that they do. So it's pretty, pretty rare. And like he says, an outlier that someone would ever do that.
0: And and it's interesting that one, of course that his hiatus was so long, but two that him taking 14 years would put him in his forties, almost fifties, whenever he begins killing again.
1: Exactly, yeah, because it actually shows, like, good segue right there, it actually says that his next killing actually happened in March of 2002, which would put him at 50 years old, when 15-year-old Princess Berthamue was found, again, in the alleyway. This time, it was a little bit different, because she was actually found with strangulation marks around her throat, so he's taking a little bit of a deviation from his typical MO of shooting them in the chest three times. And then he actually ended up striking again a year later in July of two thousand three when the remains of Valerie McCorvey were found dead in a similar fashion as Princess was, with strangulation marks found on her neck. It's believed that his last victim occurred in two thousand seven with a woman named Janisa Peters was found shot with a twenty five caliber gun and her body dumped in a dumpster. So it looks like he got back on track with what he typically does whenever he does his killings with this last one. But unbeknownst to him, this would be his last victim.
0: So it's curious on that, right? Like you said, he's changing up his MO with his two victims in 2002 and 2003. I'm curious, though, if it's not necessarily him doing it just to in essence change it up or if it's him trying to prove to himself that i am getting older but i am still strong enough to to overpower women you know i wonder if it's some sort of self-gratification to prove to himself that he has that ability
1: that's a good point i didn't think about it that way what i thought was i didn't know if he was trying to since he was coming back from what is believed to be him taking 14 years off if he's trying to throw them off like this is a different guy doing these things Still targeting the same women, but he's trying a different way of killing them. He does it two times, doesn't, because it's believed that when a killer does it a certain way, it's hard for him to deviate from that path. So it may have been, in like a better way, awkward for him to do it this way. And he decides to resort back to his original way of doing it.
0: It, well, it could be that. And like you said, you know, it could be essentially a smoke screen that he's trying to put up for law enforcement, but. Also I think potentially the reason why he went back to shooting in 2007 with a 25 caliber rifle is he was potentially reminded of his invincibility. He was able to get away four more years after the killing in 2003. And still thinking they haven't caught me yet. What's going to change if I go back to my old ways?
1: That's a good point, too. I never thought about it that way. He probably thinking that I can do this again. They never caught me back then. They couldn't catch me during the time I was off. What's stopping me now? Exactly. Good point. But it was actually after the murder of Janisa Pierce that law enforcement was beginning to link all these victims together. The ones from the 80s to the ones taking place here in the 2000s right here. Because as, uh, as we see, DNA uh, testing becomes a little bit more prominent, becomes a little bit more reliable, and they can use it more now to solve crimes. So what they start doing is they s- get his DNA, but he's not in the system yet. So they're trying to figure out, like, okay, how can we catch this guy? So what the LAPD actually does is they actually start a task force that is charged with finding this man who is... Connected to all these murders, which is actually ten at this time total that they can confirm, they try to hunt this guy down and stop him before he goes on another murderous rampage like he did in the 80s. But when they did this, this task force was not made known to the public. They tried to keep it under wraps because they feared that he would actually skip town once they once he heard that there was a specific task force after him. And it was only made known to the public when a journalist named Christina Pelisic broke the news to the public for the first time, which actually drew criticism to the police commissioner and the mayor of LA, because they believed that they were trying to keep under wraps, that these crimes were still going on in this poor black community that everybody seems to believe that they don't care about.
0: Right. They, they went about it with more than likely the best intentions, but Mm -hmm. I can hundred percent understand how that would appear within the
1: communities. Exactly. They're, they believe they're trying to withhold information, trying to cover themselves when really they're just trying to make sure this guy's not trying to leave or anything. They don't want him to miss out on this opportunity to hopefully catch him now that they have better technology to track this guy down. Mm. So because of what this journalist was doing, she was actually the only source of information about what was going on because she kept them breaking news stories about what was going on, where their investigation was leading to. But finally, in 2009, the police commissioner at the time, uh, William Bratton, acknowledged that there was a case trying to find this serial killer known as the Grim Sleeper. However, they weren't able to find this man yet, as they were still trying to figure out his DNA since he wasn't in the system. Right, and
0: that puts a lot of pressure on, on local law enforcement. You know, you have... These cases, like you said, from the 1980s, you have two cases in 2002 and 2003. Mm. And in 2007, you know, you finally realize, hey, more than likely there's causation and correlation in these two separate events. And now it's 2009. The news has already been broke that, you know, you are after this individual and two years later and you still have nothing to show for it. So there's definitely going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of backlash, even more the community of you know why has this murderer why is the serial killer not been caught yet
1: exactly because all those other serial killers that we were oh, like most notably Richard ramirez because they were caught at this time and yet this guy's been at large for at this point this is 2009 when he finally acknowledged that he started in 85 so he's been at large for 24 years and they still have no idea who he truly is, or they at least don't have enough evidence to find out who their man is. So yeah, they are under an intense pressure to figure out who this man is, especially from that community. Mm. So they finally actually start getting a crack in the case when a man named Christopher Franklin, who is actually Lonnie Franklin's son gets arrested in 2008 on a felony weapons charge. So what they did was whenever they arrested him, they got his DNA when they took his DNA and ran it against all the uh, the system with all the other DNA that's in their system, it came up with a partial match for that case. Now, obviously, Fr- uh, Christopher was quite young to be someone who committed this murder at this at, in the 80s, considering he was probably born around that time. Mm-hmm. So that's what led them to start looking at Lonnie. What they did was they had to figure out a way to get Lonnie's DNA to try to get the evidence to prove that he's the one who did the killing. In order to get the DNA they needed to bring a case against Mr. Franklin, they actually had to take one of their officers and disguise him as a waiter at a pizza parlor that Mr. Franklin went to for a birthday party. While they were there, they actually collected a bunch of silverware he used it and even a half-eaten piece of pizza that he had in order to get his DNA to try to see if it will match. It's actually kind of funny, Jason. I'll bring I'll bring up what was actually revealed too. They actually had a chance to get Lonnie back in two thousand three because he was actually arrested on a felony charge, but they were never never able to get his DNA at the time because it wasn't until two thousand four that a proposition known as Proposition sixty nine was passed to require that DNA must be collected from anyone who is arrested, especially those arrested on felony charges. But at that time when he was arrested, he was only given three uh, year special probation. And during that time, probation officers didn't have the resources in order to collect his DNA.
0: That is interesting. And, you know, that kind of further explains his short hiatus from 2003 to 2007.
1: Exactly. Yeah, because he was under special watch during that time because 2003 to 2006. And then that next year, that's when he had his last killing. So that's a good point. I I didn't even click in my mind that he did that.
0: Right, and and honestly, I I highly favor the dedication from local farm law, local law enforcement at this time for doing this stakeout at the local pizza restaurant. You know, to be able to get his DNA. I mean, that's it's very methodical, very thought out of a process that they went to such extents.
1: Law enforcement was able to get enough uh, DNA evidence from the thing, uh, the re or the silverware and the pizza that they were able to get to where they actually arrested Lonnie Franklin on July 7, 2010. After his arrest, that's when they actually searched his home, and that's when they found over 1,000 photos of women he had taken. A lot of them were nude, beaten, bloody, uh, unconscious, with a lot of them believed to have been dead, too. So that's a lot more photos, too, that they thought, and it potentially leading to a lot more victims than the 10 that they initially credited him with
0: and go ahead absolutely so and i mean the the evidence was already damning enough from the 2007 murder and the dna match but to go physically to his house and have like you said thousands of photos of Mm -hmm. his murder victims i mean they they really have enough to put this guy in jail forever or, you know, give him the death penalty. But like you said, they're able to match up some of the other unsolved murders that are essentially all cold cases now since they happened in the eighties and finally bring this individual to justice.
1: Exactly. And it's just kind of what I brought up earlier about what the Kate, what happened to him in Germany, those, fi- those photos they took of them raping that young girl Um, is what they believed is what led him to actually start doing this when he started his own murder spree or his murders during his time is what led him to taking photos after he committed these crimes and keep them as sort of like a memorabilia for what he did.
0: Right. they are trophies in his head. Oh, exactly. and, And he's getting gratification not only from the act of doing so, but also being able to look back and remember the terrible things that he's
1: done. Mm -hmm. The lives that he's destroyed and everything its just a way for him to look back and just kind of hate to say it like this, but give himself a pat on the back and just reminisce on it.
0: Absolutely. Like I said, it's terrible to, to think that someone's mental capacity is at that point, but there is true within Lonnie Franklin, a.k.a. the Grim Sleeper, and sad to say several other serial killers as well
1: exactly um so what the police actually ended up doing is they sorted throughout these photos they confirmed the ones they already know that he uh killed but the 10 women that we've discussed including the one that survived and they took about 180 of those photos and actually released it to the public of victims they didn't know to try to see if anybody knew who they were so that they could be identified again most of these pictures consist of they were black women and various different ages and they were mostly nude and they were either beaten, bloodied or unconscious. Um, and this is actually after the discovery of these photos, it made uh, law enforcement actually wonder if he actually did take a 14 year hiatus or if he was actually still killing during that time, but they just had no idea.
0: Right. It's all speculation at that point, you know, who's to say that he truly was on that hiatus and he wasn't being potentially more methodical and with his murders and his killings, to hide up the fact.
1: Exactly. I mean, he could, uh, obviously there's a thousand photos. It could have been a lot of them of same women or who knows what it was, but does kind of raise a question of like how many of these women have they just assumed wasn't by him. It was by someone else, but it was actually committed by this same guy, which makes it even kind of more terrifying of like what his true, like how many people did he truly kill? Right. And it's actually believed that a man named Thomas Steele, The only male victim of his fell to his hands. He was Thomas Steele was actually the friend of one of his victims, which one it wasn't specified, but his body was actually discovered in August of 1986. And it's believed that Lonnie actually killed him because he either saw or he had very good reason to believe that Lonnie is the one who killed uh, his friend. And that's what led to his death. Right,
0: more than likely, he Lonnie saw this individual as a loose end and felt, you know, the need to to put an end to him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's willing to deviate from his uh, norm of the younger black women to make sure that no one was about to rat him out and end his um his uh, up and coming killing spree.
0: Right. And and typically when looking at these things, it would make you lean more into the disorganized factor. But I would honestly believe that this adds more credence to him being an organized killer because he is being, you know, even more methodical on how do I keep doing this? You know, I need to make sure that I have no loose ends, that there are no red herrings.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He wants to make sure that he can. No one's going to interrupt him. Like you say, He he's that was organized. It wasn't just some. Random shot in the dark or anything, he wanted to make sure no one's going to interfere with him. Mm. Yeah, so that's like I said, like it's believed. While they do have 10 confirmed people that he is killed that they knew for sure just by DNA, they believe that his number could be much higher. Even some estimates believe that it could be within a hundred people. Man. But instead of trying to figure out if he did kill that many people, they were willing to just be like. No, we're going to focus on these 10 individuals that we know for sure that he murdered and just charge him with that.
0: Right. Go ahead and, you know, knock, knock the nail on the head and get this man behind bars for the 10 that we can undefinably, you know, confirm and we can focus on the rest later.
1: Exactly. So now that they have arrested Lonnie, they decide to go ahead and charge him with those 10 murders, including the attempted murder of Anitra Washington. Though they arrested him in July of 2010, his trial actually did not begin until February 16th of 2016, because there were multiple delays that happened. And also, I forgot how they actually said it was, but they were both sides of law we're trying to get all the information and evidence they need to present their cases to the court. Again, um, mm. it started February 16th, 2016, and it lasts until May 2nd, 2016 with those closing arguments. So it was only a three-month trial. wasn't a very long uh, trial with deliberation actually beginning May 4th, and it went till May 5th. On May 5th, 2016, the jury found Lonnie Franklin Jr. guilty of all charges. He was sentenced to death on August 10th, 2016, uh, 31 years to the day he killed his first believed victim, Deborah Jackson. However, on March 28th, 2020, Lonnie Franklin was found dead in his cell. It's not been confirmed yet how he died, but and they did an autopsy and they never have released exactly how he died. I don't know, Jason, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that even at this point being six years later that the autopsy still not came out on if it was natural causes, suicide, or if he was murdered. Um, it's, it's brings more questions into the fact, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. was six, it's taking more than six years for the autopsy and it took my, six my years boy. for his trial.
1: Let, let me jump in real quick. I messed up. He died on March 28th, 2020. Oh, okay. That was my fault. Is no, March twenty eighth, twenty twenty is actually when he died. Um,
0: you're you're good, uh, which yeah. I mean it it kind of goes back to mm-hmm. the the credence of how long inmates are on death row. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, from just my knowledge that I have, which is set, which to this point is not a lot on death row inmates, but it does feel like they are on death row for several years, and him you know being found dead in twenty twenty. It's still two years later, still not having the autopsy is raises concern in in my eyes of maybe it was uh, potentially another crime that was committed within the, the prison system or something else.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's actually believed, I think I can't remember the exact number at that time, because whenever he was convicted, death sentences had been expelled from the California uh, judicial system for a while, but then they got reinstated at a certain time. I think there were 700, around 780 people on death row before he got convicted. So essentially what happens is, is he gets put at the very bottom of that list. So that's why it could take years before he ever ever gets taken to however they do whatever they do in that state for his death sentence so that could explain why it took so long but it, like you said though he was in that jail um, the j- uh, jail system who knows what truly happened because it actually says that he suffered no head trauma and that was not a cause of death so they still haven't even released how um, he died
0: Right. And since that is specifically called out, you know, that does make you lean towards the fact of potentially he was murdered.
1: That yes, that's a very good point. It's just it's just not a whole lot of information that they've um, released about it. Um, but one for a little bit of information that will probably never end up finding out is how many people he truly did kill because he never did talk about it. Because I think you've probably seen some of this, how a lot of serial killers, after they've been convicted, they do interviews open up? Even bring take police to where some bodies of individuals are that they had never released or anything. But Lonnie never um, did that. He actually maintained his innocence until he died.
0: And that's really interesting that someone who would keep these trophies of his, you know, his photos, would claim his innocence all the way to the end. You know, it's. <laughs> What what are you trying to gain here? It's very concerning, his mental capacity at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, it's very concerning because at that point, they had all the evidence they need. They, it was kind of an open and shut case because it only took three months. It took the jury a day to figure out that this is the guy, yet he's still very adamant about it wasn't me. Uh there's someone else. Y'all got the wrong guy. So mm-hmm. he, who knows where his headspace was at that time? I know maybe part of that is... Whenever an inmate in California is put on death roll, they immediately can appeal it. Maybe he's holding out the fact that he can appeal it and not get the death penalty, or maybe he get a reduced sentence. I don't know what it is. Maybe he thought that if he opened up, that would end his chances of getting that.
0: Hmm. So. Yeah, that's, that, that, that is a high possibility. You know, Even if his thought process is wrong, I mean, obviously he's done several things in his lifetime that are, obviously wrong so
1: yeah so he can't he may not even come to grips with reality that he finally did get caught because like we talked about he probably felt like he could never be caught he was invincible he worked underneath their noses uh during some of the times when he was committing his crimes he probably thought that this should never happen he shouldn't still be out there doing what he had been doing for all those years
0: right he can't fathom the fact that he was caught
1: exactly but that's it. That was the life of Lonnie Franklin, known as the Grim Sleeper. Pretty, pretty wild stuff there. I mean, he's probably uh, known as one of the longest reigning serial killers in the United States. Um, took them, like, like I said in there. Before he finally got convicted, it was 31 years since uh, he killed what was believed to be his first victim before he was finally convicted of his crimes.
0: Yeah, just to kind of close out on that, it's it's incredibly insane how long it took you know for him to be caught and brought to justice Uh, again another thing that he's been able to for lack of a better word accomplish within his devious activities as that one would call an outlier in serial killers um sure there have been several who were never caught or thought to have never been caught just because the bodies identified were never able to be specifically determined by one murder or one serial killer. But Frank Lon- Lonnie Franklin is, is definitely an interesting one to discuss because of all the, the things that he did in his time.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of wild. Just, I mean, obviously it's hard being a law enforcement with anything. It's just, it's kind of crazy that he was able to, go that long without anybody being able to f- connect the dots and get him. Cause like we talked about, they had the DNA, obviously DNA back then wasn't what it is today, but they were still just never, never able to catch this guy. He was never, never able to slip up to the point where they could f- connect him, just catch him in whatever way they usually catch all uh, serial killers. Um, he was just able to remain at large and basically prey upon that community for all those years. It's, just kind of sad and unfortunate that he was able to do all that he did.
0: Absolutely. It, it, like I said, it's, it's very unfortunate, but you know, I'm, I am thankful for the fact that he was eventually brought to justice.
1: Exactly. That's, and that's what a lot of the family members of the victims were They interviewed him after his death um, with one of them, even saying that she's not going to say she's happy. He's dead. She's just happy. He was finally brought to justice and no one else had to go through that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate you going on this ride with me. It's been a great time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, very interesting topics to, to discuss and, you know, to dive into the, the history and even the mental mind of serial killers to better understand them and why they do these terrible things.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I feel like criminal minds right here.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. FBI, where you at? Uh, call, us, call us up.
1: We're, yeah, we're, we'll join the behavioral analysis unit. We're available. Yeah, uh-huh. we are <laughs> I'll quit my day job.
0: Exactly. But to go ahead and close out this episode, thank you for tuning in to the Grim Sleeper episode of Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As a disclaimer, no serial was harmed in the making of this episode, and we hope to see you next time.